Well, once again, Merry Christmas. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, it's such a beautiful day today, a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Christmas Eve. Would you agree? Uh, you know, we could have had a little snow on the ground. Uh, in, there's some in bits and pieces here and there. You get a little further north, there's some snow. But what an absolutely beautiful day today. And it's so great to have you with us. You should know by now that I belong to the camp of people who think that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. I know that's not the case for everyone. And I try to be sensitive to that. But the truth is, I love Christmas. I love everything about this time of year. And believe it or not, I've had the same enthusiastic Christmas spirit from the time that I was a young boy. And to this day, what fuels my passion and my zeal for Christmas more than anything else it's not opening the gifts, it's not the music and the sights and the sounds and the Christmas cookies and all the things that we all love so much. But what drives my passion is the story of Jesus' birth. For me, the wonder of Christmas and the beauty of Christmas begins and ends with Jesus. And in the Bible, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, on that very first Christmas morning, and I'm talking about the moment that Jesus was born. The scripture tells us that an angel of the Lord appeared and the angel had something to say. And in addition to some other comments that the angel made, in Luke 2.11, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This was the word that we received on that time, at that time. That Jesus, this little baby, was going to be a Savior. And this one verse, Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, begins the narration of the greatest story ever told. And even though it's the same story that we rehearse every single year at this time, it never gets old. It's always a story that brings so much meaning to us. And these days, the story is communicated in every way imaginable, with music and majesty, with pomp and pageantry. And if you can somehow allow the romance of this epic event to move past the performance stage and penetrate your heart, you will become, if you haven't already, a recipient of the greatest gift you could possibly receive. And now I'm talking about the gift of salvation because that's what a savior does. A savior saves. A savior offers to each and every one of us salvation. And again, Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 tells us that Jesus is our Savior, He is our Redeemer. Now, there's a lot to the Christmas narrative. And from beginning to end, the story incorporates a good deal of drama. On Christmas, God decided to visit planet Earth, and He did it in the most inconceivable way. God clothed Himself with human flesh. It was a plan and a strategy no one saw coming, not even the most brilliant or insightful mind. 
and you know the story well. One day, the angel Gabriel tapped a little virgin girl on the shoulder. And the, the, the angel said to Mary, don't be afraid, because you have found favor with God. That's what the angel said to her. I want you to know that God has favored you, and he's passing along some special dispensation your way. And even though you've never been with a man before, you are going to be with child. You're going to give birth to a son. And I want you to call your baby boy Jesus. Because Mary, believe it or not, Jesus is going to be great in the sight of all men. He will sit on the throne of his father David and he will save his people from their sins. Friends, that was the mission. When the angel introduced this story to Mary in the first place, that's what God that Jesus would save us from our sins. And sure enough, nine months later it happened. Jesus was born. He was born in an outdoor stable because there was no room at the hotel. And when he was born, Mary wrapped her little child in cloths. She laid him on a bed of straw and put him in a manger, an animal feeding trough no less. And that's the story. That's the great Christmas event that we celebrate every December 24th and December 25th. And for the purpose of this message today, what I'd like to do is stray somewhat from the traditional Christmas count. And for just a few moments this evening, what I'd like to do is focus in on a secondary plot of the main event. And the subplot that I'm referring to now is the account of the wise men and the magi. Remember those guys? A group of men who traveled a great distance from the east in search of Jesus. And in order to set the stage, what I'd like to do is read a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mike, is there any reason why this is cut now? Can I do anything? No, sorry. Okay, great. We'll just go through with it. Please bear with us, okay? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, 
they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned, divinely warned, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Okay, that's a part of the story that everybody knows really well, right? I mean, you're familiar with that story. And everything that we know about the Magi or the wise men is listed right here in this passage that we just read in Matthew chapter 2. In fact, Matthew, Matthew is the only one of the four gospel writers to include the account of the wise men in their gospel. Matthew's the only one. And so they show up in verse 1, they disappear in verse 12, never to be seen or heard from again. And because of all the obscurity and all the mystery surrounding the wise men, because uh, Matthew is the only one who talks about them in the gospel, great legends and traditions have evolved. Now, in most nativity sets today, we see three wise men, and usually they're bowing down before Jesus, and they're presenting him with gifts. And they're opposite the shepherds to the side of Mary and Joseph, with the animals scattered throughout. That's what a typical manger scene looks like, and I think that's exactly the way we set up in front of the church. Uh, you know, as you were coming in, you probably saw it. And just so you know, I have absolutely no intention of messing with your nativity tradition. You can go ahead and set up your manger scene any way you want, because truth be told, nobody really knows. It happened 2,000 years ago, and so nobody really understands exactly, or they know exactly how the manger scene looked. So instead of me speculating or building a case uh, on probability, how about I just tell you what we do know about the Magi? This little group of men, could have been three, could have been more, they came from the east, the far east, we know that. And the word used to describe them, magio in the Greek and magi in the English, gives us plenty of insight into who they were. We know from history, there was a group of scholars, just like the magi, living in ancient Persia about a thousand miles east of Jerusalem. That's how far the wise men came across the desert to find Jesus. About a thousand miles. And again, historically, men were astrologers. A brilliant and highly educated group of people who were trained in medicine, history, and science. They were advisors and ambassadors of Persia, and they reported directly to the king. Now check this out, because I think you're going to find this to be pretty amazing. It appears from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, that the Magi existed in Daniel's day. And that Daniel was actually appointed chief over all of the Magi under the reign of King Darius. Daniel had some association with the Magi. In fact, Daniel was the one who taught the Persians, that's where the Magi were from, they were from Persia, he taught them about Jehovah God. He was the one who communicated to them and introduced them to the 
biblical prophecies concerning the Messiah. And so the Magi, they were not only expert in astrology, they were also well-versed in religion and in prophecy. Now, in our day today, astrology has gotten a deserved bad rap. And the reason for that is for the most part, not always, but many, many people who study or follow astrology, they worship the stars. They look to the stars in an effort to predict the future. They go to the stars when they want to make a decision, and so they ask for guidance and they ask for direction from the stars. And if you don't believe me, right around, according to the latest research, right around 75 million Americans. How many? 75 million Americans will tell you that they refuse to leave their house until they've read their horoscope or consulted with their psychic. You see, with astrology, instead of seeking God, they seek the unknown. But that was not the case with the Magi. They used the stars and their knowledge of astrology to search for God. I'm going to say that again. The Magi, or the wise men, they used what they learned about astrology. They learned when they studied the stars that that was a way that they could find God. That they could actually come to know God and worship him to get guidance from him. That's what they desired more than anything else. They wanted to know the answers to life. And so the Magi used astrology the proper way the way God intended for the heavens to be studied. And we get a confirmation of this in Psalm 19. It was David who wrote, and you gotta love these verses, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Whose hands? God's hands. Day after day, they, the heavens, pour out speech, and night after night, they, the heavens, display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Again, Psalm 147 and verse 4 tells us that God is the one who determined the number of stars in the sky, and he called them each by name. Did you know that was in the Bible? How many know there's a bunch of stars up there? You know, like billions and billions of stars, and God is intimately related with those stars. He knows every star. He called them each by name. And so the Bible confirms to us that God uses all of creation, including the heavens and the stars and the sky, to display and proclaim his glory and his majesty. God uses all of creation, including the sky and the heavens and the stars, to promote the purposeful scrutiny of his handiwork. And over 2,000 years ago, God grabbed the attention of a group of magi with a single star. That was it. And they followed that star a 1,000 miles in search of God, in search of a Savior. That was the whole purpose of their cross-country journey. It was to come and worship the newborn king. 
Can you imagine what kind of a trip that was? Scholars say it may have taken somewhere between a year and two years. They crossed the desert. And again, the one purpose in mind was to find that Savior. And how do I know that? Because of Matthew chapter 2, the passage we just read. Matthew tells us that after the Magi made this trip, and they finally landed in Jerusalem, that's where the star led them, they made a beeline for the palace. Because the Magi, they were accustomed to dealing with royalty. How many know that's where kings are born? In castles, not in crates. And so they went directly to Herod's mansion. And they knocked on the door. And after engaging Herod in conversation, they were shocked that all of Israel wasn't rejoicing. I mean, surely they heard about Jesus and they were celebrating the prophetic fulfillment of his birth. Not so. Nobody knew anything about it. There in Jerusalem, it was still another silent night. And so innocently enough, the Magi asked King Herod about Jesus. And the first words out of their mouth is where is he who was born king of the Jews? Doesn't anybody know? Do you know how far we've come? We've been following his star. We saw it in the east and we've come to worship him. Where is the one that the scriptures talked about? Where is the, the baby that's born king of the Jews? And as soon as the Magi mentioned that phrase, king of the Jews, immediately Herod knew who they were talking about. He was ta- they were talking about the Messiah. So the scripture tells us that Herod gathered together all the chief priests and, the, and the, uh, the elders of the people, all the scribes, and he demanded where the Messiah was supposed to be born. And they said, oh king, that's an easy one. Because Micah told us years and years ago he would be born in Bethlehem, six miles away. Magi came close, didn't they? Just missed it by six miles. Traveled a thousand miles. That's just a tiny little miss. Imagine if they would have stopped right there. Here it scratched our little map. Said, you guys are close. You need to go another few miles. Told them, you need to go to Bethlehem. So the Magi, right around evening time, made their way to the Jerusalem gate, and sure enough, the star that they had been following for a thousand miles reappeared in the sky and led them to Bethlehem. And there in Bethlehem, they found Jesus. After that trip, After all those miles, all that sand, every challenge you could possibly think of, they found Jesus. And as soon as they laid eyes on him, as soon as they saw him, something divine happened in their hearts. Immediately they fell on their faces before him and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gifts worthy of a king. Now, this account of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 
and all that they did to find Jesus, all that they went through, is extremely inspirational to me. And it doesn't matter how many times I review this story, and trust me, I've read it a bunch of times. I still find it fascinating. And I'll tell you why, and I'll close with this. First thing that God did with the Magi was get their attention with a single star, with a light. A light shining in the darkness. And after he got their attention and after they were intrigued about this star, God rolled out a challenge. And he said to the wise men, if you would be willing to pack your bags and go on a journey, not knowing exactly where you're going, but if you would look to me and you would trust the light that I'm leading you with, I promise to lead you to a remarkable king. But not just any king. King of kings and Lord of lords. And do you know that's exactly what happened after that long journey when the, when the wise men, when the magi saw Jesus, they bowed down in worship to him because when you see a king, that's what you do. Don't look now, but God is delivering the same message to you and me today. The very same words that God spoke in the first century, he's now saying in the 21st century because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the, and the invitation that God is putting out to all of us is if you would be willing to trust me, if you'd go on a journey with me, and you would look to the light that I have provided for you, the light shining in the darkness, not only would I lead you to the most remarkable king in the world, you will know what salvation is all about. And you'll also find other gifts that can only come from my hand. Gifts of peace and joy and assurance. You see, the words that we find in the scripture that are so historic, they're so traditional, they're applicable to us today. It's not just a good story. The invitation goes out. And I absolutely love the song selection that Phil and the team gave to us because it encompasses a lot of what the Savior does for us. He saves us. He sets us free. He delivers us. He heals us. He's our all in all. Jesus Christ, Lord of all. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're so mindful of your love for us. It doesn't matter what part of the story we would read because there's a lot to this story. And whatever we would focus in on, it would lead us to the same place, that you love the world so much you would send your son and that Jesus loved us so much that he would give his life. I know there's a lot going on right now in our world, Lord. There's a lot going on in our own little lives. People are sick. People need healing. People are down. They're discouraged. 
the news reports aren't very flattering. They're not encouraging. And as the world around us, the darkness of the world tries to drag us down, you provided a star, a light shining in the darkness because the scripture says that's who you are. You're the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You're the promise keeper. You're the light in the darkness. And we choose you, Lord. We choose you. I pray, God, that we would come to this end. We would come to this place. And we would acknowledge everything that you've done. You've done for us. You did it with us in mind. And I pray that that would offer hope and encouragement to each and every one of us in this day. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus.